0: Hey there, you're listening to the Water & Music Podcast, where we unpack the fine print of big ideas at the intersection of music and tech, featuring a curated selection of leaders, artists, thinkers, and innovators from across the music business. I'm your host, Sherry Hu. Today's guest is Alex Mitchell, who's the founder and CEO of a startup called Boomi, Boomi just launched out of beta a few weeks ago and is building accessible tools to help users not only make and edit instant music on the fly using artificial intelligence, but also distribute and monetize that music directly on paid streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music. What you're about to hear is definitely one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had about the space of AI and music creation. Some of the questions we dive into include, what's wrong with the phrase AI generated music? What's the difference between optimizing for creativity versus for accuracy in a machine learning algorithm in the context of art? What's a win condition for AI in music? How do we know if a musical algorithm actually works? And in general, how is AI going to have the same effect on music creation that Instagram had on photography? The answers to some of these questions might surprise you. So let's dive right in. Alex, thanks so much for joining this podcast.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. As of recording
0: this, you've just launched Boomy out of beta.
1: One hour ago.
0: One hour ago. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I definitely want to dive into the actual product and kind of your takeaways from the beta. But before that, I want to talk about more like higher level concepts in this field of AI and music creation. And sure. I want to start yeah, specifically with something that I know that you feel very strongly about, which is... The misnomer of "quote unquote" AI generated music.
1: Yeah, and I, I and I appreciate starting there too because you know we we've been a little bit quiet. Um, this is the first interview I'm doing about Boomi, and we've been in beta and we've been seeing what our users are doing. And then other other people have kind of uh, picked up on this, and they've started writing about us, and they they keep describing what we do as AI generated music. I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this too. But my my thought on this is that like you wouldn't call what Slash does guitar generated music. And you wouldn't call what Drake does like tune generated music. I think this notion of, of AI generated it puts a kind of a weird emphasis on the tool. Um, and while we all are, you know, very proud of the technology that we built, um, really, this is just another way of of making music and a really cool, efficient way of making music. We really think of our users, and I think many of our users think of themselves, uh, as artists, you know, even if they never made music or studied music prior to using Boomi.
0: I'm totally with you. And I think it's related to how, in general, a lot of the conversations around AI and arts or AI and work is understandably very fearful, and very skeptical to the point where, when we're talking specifically about music, we do kind of give all, I guess, all responsibility and all credit to the tool. It's like this algorithm was sitting in their bedroom and producing all this music <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of a instead of an actual human being controlling the software.
1: And I think there's a big difference too between you know what we were testing. Uh, over the last several months, very much as a you know, minimum viable product that had a, a limited set of functionality, where basically up until today, pretty much all you could do with Boomi was, was generate songs and you know, save or reject them. Uh, you could do some editing, but the, the editing was limited. Uh, over the last several months, uh, we've been talking to our users a lot. Uh, we're super interested in what they're doing with their music and what they're making and how they're using it. And the thing that everybody asked for was, you know, hey, I want to I edit this more. Like, I want to change it. Um, I want to be able to change the influence after the fact. Nobody really is asking us to, like, make the AI better. I mean, that's happening anyway. But what everybody wants to do is, is manipulate the song. And one of the reasons why we kept it in beta so long is because we felt it wasn't really a complete product experience until uh, you could really change the track, delete things, add things, change sounds, um, add your own vocals, which is coming very soon, and and things like that, where it's, it's really just a, a very simple way of creating uh, some really compelling, really powerful music.
0: Mm. Were there any musicians who maybe could be called quote-unquote traditional who were Using Boomi as part of the beta? And if so, like what was their experience like using the tool? Like what did you hear from them?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a there are a bunch. So one of the cool things that we we've, we've been able to do is give you the ability to take what you're doing on Boomi off of the platform, right? Uh, so when you create a song, uh, and that song gets created in you know five seconds now, you can then take it off uh, in MIDI format, you can take it off in um, in stems and in waves uh and, and download MP3s and so I was I was uh, talking to a pretty prominent songwriter recently, and he was he was he was creating beats um, with Boomi. and he was and as soon as he saw like how fast and efficient it was and that's actually usable, he was like, oh my god, he's like I'm going to use this in sessions all weekend because uh, so much of what uh, when he works with rappers, you know, they're just kind of like going through through beats, and now they can do that uh, without having to worry about licensing, without having to worry about potential issues with uh, with rights. So we're seeing that. We're seeing composers who have kind of taken inspiration uh, out of some of the things that, that they've made on Boomi. So we made sure from pretty much from day one that if you want to take uh, what Boomi's done uh, with you and, and take it off platform and uh, integrate it into your own work, uh, we made it super easy to do so.
0: Mm. Thinking about like what actually makes an algorithm good, something that you've written about on the Boomi blog is this concept of optimizing for creativity versus for accuracy, I was wondering if you could elaborate on what exactly you're referring to in that situation, and also, you said on the blog in the case of Boomi that you're that you're aiming for the former in terms of optimizing for creativity. So if you could talk about both of those things,
1: yeah, absolutely. So I think it has uh, a little bit to do with just how deep learning and machine learning works, and and maybe it, it might be helpful to talk uh, just for two seconds about what artificial intelligence is and what it means, maybe from an engineering standpoint versus kind of what it means socially uh, or what it means in in press sometimes when we talk about artificial intelligence you're you're really talking about a set of data processing technologies right so it's an advanced way of of analyzing a bunch of data very quickly and allowing uh the algorithm to sort of figure out what the best way to process that data is and this is technology that you've seen be applied to like photos pretty extensively so you know here's a picture of a person uh, or here's a bunch of pictures of people here's a bunch of pictures of dogs you know, you the algorithm go figure out what's a person and what's a dog. Mm. And then now here's this new photo. Is it a person or is it a dog? These, these systems uh, have been designed for accuracy. In the system like that, you want to be able to distinguish and you're training the algorithm to distinguish accurately what is a dog or a person. And and there's been some amazing research, right, in applying this to music because we have this great format called MIDI, um, and you can do something very similar to it, where you are uh, listening effectively or analyzing a bunch of that data, uh, and then trying to replicate, you know, something out of it. So one of the issues that you get into with that is what I call the sort of the overoptimization problem, where if you're asking an a trained algorithm that's been trained on a bunch of MIDI data, well, write me a song that's accurate. It's trying to find um, what's called a local minimum. So it's going to write the same song every time, right? Or, mm-hmm. or very similar sounding songs. If you're giving it a reference and you're saying, well, here's what a good song sounds like and here's what a bad song sounds like, you can ha- get into this issue where there isn't really enough variability and it isn't uh, super creative. And so one of the things that we set out to do that was kind of the whole point of, I think, what we're bringing to this field is, is look at two areas where we can actually try to use that same concept a little differently. And instead of trying to make an accurate song, try different creative ideas very rapidly and do this both on the composition side and on the production side. If you do it fast enough, what you can get is something that sounds like totally stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Something that doesn't sound like music at all. It just sounds like a bunch of garbled nonsense, but that garbled nonsense might actually sound cool to someone and then over time, as, as we started, started refining the algorithms and working with the data that we were getting back from our users, uh, we were able to refine this workflow into something where now we can start training individual creative profiles uh, of our users. And, and that's what's really exciting. So that, that's a lot of words. I, I think what, what I'm trying to get across is that if you try to write an accurate song, you're gonna end up with something that kind of sounds the same all the time. If you're trying to write a creative song, Uh, necessarily. It has to be bad sometimes. I think a lot of artists have had the experience where you're in the studio, you're recording a track, and then like the guitar bumps the amp or something, but it ends up sounding really cool. And, you know, that ends up adding something to to the track that was technically a mistake, but still sounds really good. And that's kind of what we've tried to represent and model and include uh, in these tracks that are being created on Boomi, so you'll get songs that have mistakes, but those mistakes are actually really interesting. Our theory was so long as we can create these songs very quickly, and so we we started. It took 15 minutes to create a track, which was too long. Uh, we did a bunch of engineering, and and I'm I'm happy to report it we're we're doing it in like under five seconds um, once yeah. you're once you're connected to a server. And uh, if you, if you can do this fast enough, then we can start rapidly trying new kind of out there weird ideas. Uh, throw them up to the user and say, hey, does this reflect you? And then the user can save that or reject it. Uh, and over time, um, again, we've, we've developed that profile.
0: Yeah, I think allowing users to edit and then personalizing output to the user's tastes is really key rather than saying that, like, th- this is the definitive output of an upbeat folk song. And, like, this is what you're going to get. And, right, like, the individual's taste isn't going to be taken into account. Right what I'm going to play in this episode uh, are some sample tracks that you sent me ahead of time. And they are two pairs of hip hop and strings tracks, one of which in each category is more accurate versus more creative. So in hip hop, we have a track called nameless. That's more accurate.
1: <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. And, for, well, and for what it's worth, um, these are weird names because we a- we actually have an AI that writes the names too. <laughs> I think maybe some of them came from users, but yeah, on our on our platform, you can you can name your songs with AI, and you can actually create cover art when you distribute uh, with AI too. But we, we can talk about that later.
0: Yeah, for sure. So there's Nameless, which is more accurate in hip hop. more creative track which we'll play here is called pro gladiatorial am i pronouncing that correctly
1: i have no idea (laughs) i guess
0: I'll, i'll just put that up there For strings, the more accurate track is called acoustic screech. And then the more creative one is called Turbulent. Yeah. my gut reaction listening to these tracks was very similar to what you just laid out so the more accurate tracks when I was listening through they were much more rhythmically and melodically predictable so like for the nameless hip-hop track that was more accurate I was like oh yeah that's like a standard hip-hop beat and oh yeah now there are all these cowbells and other like percussive embellishments on top and oh now the same bass line is coming back and so it was like that, that sense of familiarity that, that you do sense actually in a lot of mainstream music today that may or may not have been made with artificial intelligence. And then the more creative tracks definitely had like a lot more curveballs than I wasn't expecting in terms of both like rhythm and melody. And it seemed like those, those tracks were consistently morphing, even just like over the span of a minute as I was listening to them, where even at like the 30 second mark, we're at a different place from where we were at like the five second mark. Right. And it it's definitely more interesting
1: that way. And, and they certainly get a lot crazier than, than some of what I sent you. Um, <laughs> and all you got to do is go to boomy.com and, and use the unlimited filter a few times and it'll, it'll, go, it'll go a little bit crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's important that what we're doing is not just sort of best guess copies of music that came before, right? Mm-hmm. I think if, if that's all that this technology is going to do, the market applications are going to be pretty limited and it's not really going to fulfill the the mission of the company for us, which is to bring music making to to everybody mm-hmm. for free. The creativity piece really comes in in leaning into the inconsistency sometimes mm. uh, and then creating, you know, evaluators to figure out, well, is this cool inconsistency? Is this good? <laughs> right. Like what is what is good is is really core in what we're doing. And for us, we don't necessarily want to assume that. We don't want to say, you know, make us songs that sound exactly like this other artist or this other thing. We want this to, to really be a reflection of the user. And so if we start from a very wide base of creativity, the more you you save and, and edit on Boomi, the more we can kind of get to what, you know, what you would write if you were a musician. Uh, and that's what this technology can enable. We think that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, I'm actually thinking back now to a panel that I moderated on this topic, at the Nylon connect conference and this is in new york mm-hmm. and i asked the question that in hindsight i realized like maybe is like a false equivalence but i, I think like at the time google had just launched alpha go mm-hmm. which was i think so kind of like machine learning algorithm that could be the world champion at the game go right one of the first questions i brought up during that panel was like what is the equivalent of alpha go for music like and, <laughs> <Sure>. and that's <laughs> I, I realized i part of the discussion kind of led to the fact that Like, music is not a board game, arguably. There aren't, like, a set number of super solid rules. Obviously, there there are, like, some things that could be codified in terms of music theory. Like, these are the chords that tend to come up in a pop song or something like that. But the rules are much hazier. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Like, do you think that, oh, what is the AlphaGo equivalent? Is that kind of going the more accurate route or might there be like a parallel there as well?
1: So, yeah, I think the important thing to note with something like AlphaGo uh, or, or some of the great research that OpenAI has done um, around, around uh, you know, gaming is that there's a win, right? There's a win condition. You, you mm-hmm. won the game or you didn't win the game, right? The way they did that is they, they made that algorithm play AlphaGo like a, you know, bazillion times, some some crazy number of times on a server, right? And let it kind of figure out every every possible outcome for us we have to stay really honest about what is a wind condition in music right some of the research i think that's been done by by feeding it a bunch of reference tracks that says like hey make something like this again it it'll just make that song over and over again so so in my in my last company audiokai research we we worked a lot with anrs and any anr will tell you that i mean i'm not going to speak for all anrs but a lot of anrs will tell you that they're not looking for something that sounds like what's popular today right mm. they're looking for what's going to sound popular in 6 months and a year and 2 years they want to develop artists they want to develop new sounds right so i think whereas academically it's super interesting to look at what does it take to you know analyze folk songs and then create new folk songs that kind of sound similar? Um, and there's there's an interesting kind of data science you know going on there. For us, it's a lot more interesting to say, well, what's what's gonna? How do we create something new? How do we create something that's totally maybe different uh, than anything you've heard before? I think if you if you listen to some of the songs that Boni's producing, you know some of them you can definitely hear influences of genre. But other ones are like totally new. They're, they're totally different. Uh, one of our users tweeted the other day, um, I just invented a new genre of music. And we were like, yes, that's, yes, you got <laughs> it. That's exactly what, what's going on here. Um, because the songs that he was producing, you know, they're electronic, but they're like, it would be really hard to classify them according to the things that came back, but they still sound cool. They still sound good. It almost is an a thing in some ways uh, to say that creative music is gonna be something that you know you haven't heard before. Accurate music is gonna be something that you have.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think framing it as like, what is the win condition for music is super useful in this day and age when genre is already so fluid and you have artists who like, would traditionally be categorized as hip hop, like totally going to electronic, totally going into country, the whole thing around Old Town Road, that's kind of like sure. the epitome of where we are, right? Like in 2019. So in this environment, a win condition is kind of the opposite of imitating what has been done before, for sure. Or like the, the win condition is pushing culture forward in some way and opening up people's minds in some way. I,
1: yeah, I, I think it's going to be different, you know, for each user. And I can tell you what it means to to us, right? And kind of what I'm going for. I think the win condition for us is meaning. If we can help you make a song that's meaningful to you in some way or, or in any way, uh, then we've won, Right. And if again, by, by using a system that can create a, a, an incredibly wide variety of output, right, that can produce things that are accurate if you want, but that can produce stuff that's totally crazy and new, then that meaning that you bring to it will, will inspire you to use music in ways that we might not necessarily even, even know today. And that we certainly you know, saw some behaviors during the beta uh, from our users that were super interesting that, that we weren't expecting and I think it's because very quickly they were able to find meaning in their songs, and so mm-hmm. you get into this like, well, what's a good song and what's a bad song? I think it's really simple for us, and it's if you know what is sort of the lower bound of effort that it takes for somebody to get to never having created a song in their in their life, or even maybe even thought about creating a song in their life, to having something that that means something to them um, and that they can they can go use.
0: Mm. You mentioned. A lot of like both professional artists and also everyday people are creating music in a whole new way through Boomi. I'm wondering what other use cases have come up, at least through the beta program. Like are, are people using it primarily as a creative tool and then maybe like exporting it, downloading it to incorporate into their songs or are there other use cases that, that have come up?
1: It was so it was. It's part of what we set out to learn. The, the way I say this to the team is that we're we're solving a market problem as as much as we're solving you know technology problems. What the way we're going about this is we're we're designing certain styles. Um, so you can come into Boom, you can select a style. Uh, and the first style that we designed was was beats, right? So we, we're pretty good at that right now. So we can make beats. They sound like hip hop beats. They can sound like EDM beats. We're going after like hip hop artists. So we have a lot of you know musicians who are using us to create beats uh, so they don't have to worry about rights um, and then put them into their songs things like that. And that was kind of where we started, right? It was like, hip hop people are going to use this to make songs. And and we did see some of that. But here's something else we saw. Uh, so we had a whole bunch of gamers sign up for the beta, like sort of younger gamer kids. And we and they were making like these EDM tracks. And we were looking at these song title names that they were giving their songs. They didn't make any sense to us. so We had to Google it. And as it turns out, what they were doing was they were creating whole EDM tracks uh, just to make fun of another player on Discord for like losing at the game, <laughs> like, and and then the other player would send them the whole EDM song back, being like, "Ha ha, no, I beat you this time." I we and that's what we were able to discern uh, so from funny. that, also from talking to those users, is that they're they're taking this and they're using it to communicate, you know, uh, positivity or negativity in a way that we we had never really expected. I pulled that use case out because it's the it's the most interesting one to me. Because it's not something we ever would have imagined people would actually do with this music, right? We set out and we were like, people are going to use this to make, you know, DJs are using it for, uh, to create, you know, samples that they can, they can play. Um, Hip hop producers are using it. If you told me six months ago that actually most of the usage would be um, gamer kids, (laughs) like making fun of each other, uh, I would have, I would have not been able to guess that, right? And that's not something that ever would have made sense before. You can make a song in five seconds, right? So that that was an interesting behavior um, that that I would I would kind of draw attention to. A lot of dancers, I mean, anything you can imagine, right? Uh, our user, what we're really going for is is non musicians uh, primarily, and musicians are going to use it because they're going to use us like any other music tool. But we're we're really looking at this as a way to kind of onboard people into the the music creation process. Uh, without having to have this incredible amount of education or access to resources uh, in order to do that.
0: And I think with Boomi specifically, one of the most interesting aspects to me, also just thinking about what the future of the music industry could look like, is that distribution, therefore being able to monetize these tracks, is like directly built into the product.
1: Right, right.
0: I think for people listening, it would be helpful if you could just walk through how you've structured the distribution aspect of the platform and sort of your philosophy as well about what rights like Boomi as the company owns versus what the user gets to keep. Cause I think there are still a lot of like possibilities and opportunities to experiment around that. So yeah, like how do you see that?
1: Sure. So distribution is awesome. I mean in, in some ways it's it's startup one-on-one. It's like what are your users doing, right? And uh, the first kind of batch of, you know, the first thousand users, maybe what they were doing was they were creating songs on Boomi, they were downloading them, and they were putting them on streaming services through other distributors. Uh, we saw that from a whole bunch of people. I think there's this natural inclination the first time you make a song or when you finish a song, like what you want to do is, is share it with somebody, right? You want to you show it to someone. And I think the coolest way to share it is is through a streaming service that gets that gets monetized philosophically it really comes down to expanding access again we have all seen the numbers and we've all seen the research on on the incredible amount of royalties um, that are going to be available over the next 10 20 years thanks to the uh, the increase in in streaming but the issue that that we see with that is that the only people who are going to be able to participate in that economy are people who have you know musical talent, skill, time, uh, expense. Uh, and it, it just necessarily leaves uh, a lot of people out. A lot of people just don't have the time or access or money or resources to create music. And so if what we're doing fundamentally is creating an an even playing field for everybody to be able to create music and participate in that economy, enabling distribution right through our platform is, you know, one, a response to, to just, that's what the users are doing anyway. And, you know, we want to capture that. Uh, and, and two, it allows us to, like you said, be flexible uh, with how we, you know, we manage those payments and get it back. So, so we have an 80-20 split, uh, to answer your question directly, where, where you can create songs on Boomi. And then uh, after you're done creating them, you can go into our royalties tab, add a song, um, sorry, add an album. Uh, you can distribute singles, you can distribute albums, and uh, we send them up. We call it an application. I think that's important to note. It isn't valuable for us or anyone for us to be flooding DSPs with a whole bunch of content. Mm. So uh, we actually set it up as an application for distribution. But we've certainly um, had releases, you know, in the hundreds go up with without issue in the last uh, in the last several weeks since we've been doing that feature. And yeah, we we send eighty percent of of our royalties back to the user. That's super
0: interesting because something that I also noticed that you have at the bottom of the Boomi page in beta is how many songs that uh, users have generated to date. Yeah. Um, And it's, like, past 100,000, You say it's, like, at least 0.12, 0.13% of the world's recorded music. Assuming, like, now that you're out of beta, that user growth is going to accelerate at a certain rate over the next year, you can very easily get that number to 1 million over, like, within a year, or at least within, like, a couple of years. I guess depending on how the application process for distribution evolves, a good chunk of that could also be distributed and, and, and then monetized sure. and living on these platforms, right?
1: Sure.
0: And I feel like volume is already something that a lot of people in music are kind of overwhelmed by. Or like you see stats that Spotify has, has released around like 40,000 tracks being uploaded daily or every 24 hours, even without the dominance of AI in the music creation process, there's already this huge volume, and I think AI could potentially exacerbate that. Just given given the ease of creation, I'm curious as to how you think about that, and like, to what extent do you think the music industry is or is not prepared for that shift? Because I feel like supporting mm-hmm. that and processing that is just like requires a lot more infrastructure.
1: Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how I think about it. I think, so, so two points. The first is that, so 40,000 tracks a day, right? I think w- people in our world, um, you know, the music world, we, we hear that and we, we think it's a big number. We're like, oh my God, 40,000 tracks. Do you know how many photos go to Instagram every day?
0: Mm.
1: Off the top of your head? It's 95 million. 95 wow. million okay. photos go to Instagram every day. And there's something like 350 million photos that go to Facebook every day. You'll hear me make references to photos a lot because that's really how I think about this market. I think for a long time, if you wanted to have a photo, right, you needed all this equipment, you needed all this time and expense and the right lighting. It was was like this hard thing to do. And then instant photos came along, right? And all of a sudden it happened in two seconds. We, we call what we do instant music. We don't even necessarily call it music, right? And mm-hmm. and sort of the the metric that we have that, that we track in terms of percentage of the world's recorded music is there to inspire exactly the thought that you just had, right? Which is getting ready for a world where there will be a million songs a day. There will be 10 million songs a day. Uh, of this, I'm I'm certain it's going to happen. The only question is like, on what timeline is that going to happen? What's the role of automation? Uh, and what's mm. the role of things like Boomi in the market um, going to have on that? But, but we're going to get there no matter what. You know, I, I want you to think about your five favorite photos, right? Like you probably took all of them or someone took them of you. Mm. And they might not be technically brilliant photos that like a, a photographer or a professional photographer would take, but they're, but they're still meaningful, right? And, and this is what I mean when I say the, the win condition is, is meaning, so I think, again, 40,000 40, like, is, is nothing, right? If you think of it as, as mm. data, if you think of it as individual sort of contributions of creativity, uh, that's a tiny number. And I think, frankly, it's, it's, it's so small that the world outside of our world, and this is the second point I would want to make, that in, in the real world, it just doesn't register quite as much um, as, as other types of media, right? In some ways, I think what we're trying to do is, is match the, the ease of use uh, or ease of creation uh, of photos and, and replicate kind of that experience of, of almost like an iPhone camera, right where you, you you don't know anything about photography, but you get to take a photo and now now there it is. We're gonna get there with music. And as soon as we are, um, and, and arguably Boomi's there today, um, yes, you, you will see more content going up to DSPs. You'll see more content in general. But I would I would challenge, again, I just challenge the notion that 40,000 is a lot. I, I think it's nothing. I think it's very small compared to where it's going to go.
0: That is such a good point. And I'm thinking like a lot of apps like YouTube or TikTok, especially that that are centered around like UGC, that's connected to music in some way. Like people are used to that level of volume. Obviously, like it's not like every video is producing a new song, but it's producing a new expression on an existing song. Yeah, like that's already happening. in Like the tens of millions of posts per day. So, yeah, it's interesting that that hasn't really translated to the actual music creation process, I guess, because there still is a perception that it's it is a universal language in terms of people enjoying it. But it's not a universal language in terms of like what it takes to create it. And like you still need to build up skill over the course of years. Yeah. Even the thought of like posting something to SoundCloud, it's like, oh, you have to be you have to have like a full song. Ready, or even just like like a minute to three minutes of like a fully produced song to to upload yeah. it in order to even have a chance at like getting noticed.
1: Yeah, M- making music is is really hard. Still, it's mm. it's so hard if you think about it. And e- even the really simple music apps are hard for for most people. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the people who are designing music apps are musicians. Uh, another thing we've learned over the last few months of beta is that if you really want to capture Kind of that everyday user, the friction level has to go es- essentially to zero, right? It's got to be like one button, two buttons, or else you lose them. A good example of this would be, you know, when we when we first launched the beta, so like absolute first version, you know, a couple hundred people on it. Uh, we had four options, right? And and you, you could pick like intensity, uh, genre, influence, tempo, and I uh, th- and it was like, what what do you want in the song? So drums, bass, melody, right? And we were like, this is so simple and intuitive. Everyone's going to get it. <laughs> it's like four options. And then you press a button. And then a couple seconds later, you get this cool song, you get to filter through options. People were so confused by that, mm. by, by just those four things. Like, what is intensity, right, was, was one thing that came up. What's EDM is another question that came up. I see these influences here. I, I know what hip hop is, but like, what's trap? And like, what, like, what do these words mean? What's the concept of speed in a song? let alone like, what is the word tempo? What is the word melody? So Mm. people who have had music education, um, and have been lucky enough to have music education, these are just concepts that we understand intuitively. But to the everyday user, it becomes very, uh, it's like, I don't don't know what that is. Like, I'm not a music person, I I can't do that. I mean, imagine if you're if every time you wanted to take a photo with your iPhone camera, uh, it was like, cool. So tell me what kind of lighting settings you want. And then we're going to take the photo, you know, and so we, we sort of went back to the drawing board and we said, all right, how do we make this even simpler? And we launched uh, what we call filters, right? Um, because people get that. It's like a photo filter. And the filter doesn't have any musical thing in it at all. You can, you can preview it. Um, and you can kind of see what it sounds like, but we're not enforcing any sort of genre on it. And we came up with silly names for them. One of them is like Maximum Thump, right, <laughs> is what we did mm-hmm, in place mm-hmm. of like, you know, uh, high intensity EDM. And all of our stats went up by four uh, for the next group. So four times as many songs, four times as many saves, four times as many people who kind of got through the process and understood it. And so that was a really important lesson for us, right? In that if you look at the simple music making apps, even the simplest ones usually break it out to bass, you know, melody, uh, chords and leads. And, and for a, a certain kind of user, for that mass user, um, the person walking around on the street who, who couldn't care less about the things that you and I care about in, in the music world, that person, you've already lost them when you say the word melody, right? Or when you say the word tempo, I, I think music people like us, we, we can be very esoteric with the way that we we approach these things. Um, and so it's been a learning experience for us. We've been learning from our users that you just, you got to make this like super, super simple.
0: Yeah. I really like that analogy. Or I guess the name filter and the comparison to like photo filters, because I was just thinking as you were saying that I'm an avid user of Instagram and I have no idea what the filter Clarendon means. Like, I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly.
1: <laughs> right, but, sure. like,
0: I, but, but I but I have like a very clear idea of like its effect and on like how it impacts the photo. And then I can go in later and like do some customizations. It's not like the filter is necessarily tied to anything about the skills or like the, the techniques behind photography or anything. Just saying like, here's a filter, do what you want with it. You can still right. customize it, and, yeah. and
1: here's what it looks like now. And for us, it's like, and here's you know, here's what it sounds like. Uh, what we did, and, and you can you can see this in the um, in the live version. I don't have to say beta anymore. That's so exciting. Uh, <laughs> you can see in the in the live version, we actually took that that same those same four things. And we called it advanced mode. So that's advanced mode now, mm. um, and it's actually super fun. It's probably the most fun to play with for for people who who do understand music. And so we have that right. It's not like we took it away, but. Again, we're we're trying to get to that instant music thought, and w- without having to know, you know, all of this stuff that we had to learn about music.
0: Yeah, and to go back to a lot of like the fear that people have around AI's role in music creation, one claim that I think is totally ridiculous but keeps being thrown around a lot is that AI is going to like replace human musicians somehow. Like n- now that you have instant music. Um, Why do you need like humans to make it? Because you just do it instantly. And I'm just, I'm curious to hear like your response. It's still humans (laughs) making it. It's still humans
1: making it. There we go. It
0: It goes back to the whole like AI generated music framing.
1: Yeah. Obviously we've, we've heard, you know, some of this fear. We get it on Twitter mostly uh, for people like, but, but if you just look at the history of of music and, and technology in general, there's never been a significant advancement in music technology that was not immediately met with fear and eventually was, you know, considered something that like is normal and a thing that everyone does. Right. There was a backlash against synthesizers. Queen used to put no synths as proudly on the back of all of their album covers. And they, mm-hmm. cause they were like, you know, they, they were taking the stand against synthesizers. Right. I think we can all agree that synthesizers were, were a good thing at some point in history someone decided to make, you know, a bigger viola, right? It all started with a viola. And then somebody else was like, well, let's let's go ahead and make, if, hey, if we make a bigger viola, uh, it would make a deeper sound. And then everybody around them was like, are you insane? A bigger <laughs> viola? How would you even play it? You have to put it on the ground and bow it horizontally like a moron, right? <laughs> and and so, so I'm saying, like, there's always going to be kind of like an, a discomfort, I think, especially because we are reducing the effort. Um, but I think that's only going to come from, you know, one people who don't necessarily understand that what we're trying to do is not replace artists, replace anything. We're trying to help people create music that's meaningful for themselves in, in a way that they don't have to, you know, uh, know anything or, or, or pay any money to, to use. And I, I think that's hard to, to argue with, right? I think it's hard to say that that's not, uh, that's not a noble goal.
0: Because
1: mm. um, it's it, it, to be somebody who's really kind of anti-AI, you sort of have to be someone who is uh, or has the opinion that music is something that is should be reserved for like an elite class of person, mm. for somebody who has gone through the training and, and taken the lessons and, you know, has the equipment and the time to, to create music. And anybody who doesn't have that or doesn't have sort of this internal talent um, doesn't deserve to create music. And I, I just I think that's an argument you could make. I don't think it's one that's going to age well.
0: Mm. I actually just a couple days ago was talking with someone about um, how, yeah, how a lot of people were like reacting negatively to auto-tune at first, but then arguably it was T-Pain who kind of brought auto-tune into like real mainstream. And like so many people have tried to replicate what he's done through auto-tune in terms of just like the quality of singing or making the experience sound as great as possible. And like, it's actually been really difficult. And so he's like successfully, been able to express himself and actually make a mark on culture using auto-tune just as a tool to do that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think you're gonna start seeing something uh very similar from us, but but I want it I want it to happen every day, right? Every high school, every college should have its own pop star, right? Uh, that isn't necessarily reflective of like the music, musical skill of, of the person. It's just, you know, they, they are the person who everybody wants to listen to, uh, who has a voice who now has a musical voice that they may not have had before. And, and I think that's that we're going to look back on this and we're going to look back on it the same way we look back on, on synthesizers and auto tune and stereo recording, uh, and electric guitars, the guitar wasn't taken seriously for many years, you know, don't forget. And so I, I think history's on our side, I guess is what I'm saying. There's, you could pull out a ton of examples of you know advances in music technology that are initially met with sort of skepticism and fear, and then you know years later that's what everyone does. Like everyone uses autotune now because it it sounds good and people like it.
0: Yeah, uh, and this is just the last question I want to ask before the final segment. I think sure. one potential source of fear is in who ultimately owns this technology. Like thinking about AI music creation specifically. So one thing that I've noticed in terms of like what's being written about this space is that there has been a lot of emphasis on bigger tech companies. So like Google, IBM, Sony, yeah, like they're all creating their own AI driven tools for music creation. And they do seem to be the ones leading the conversation in part because they do have the resources and the engineering talent, importantly, to bring this stuff to life. But there are also smaller indie startups like Boomi, there are lots of in the artists who are just working with individual developers and therefore like maybe with not as many resources, but maybe like making more provocative statements about the tech. So I'm wondering how you see that dynamic unfolding in the future with respect to bigger tech companies versus smaller startups or like singular artists playing with this tech. Cause I, I personally kind of see it as a rift in terms of approaches and philosophies, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Sure. I mean, I think with the, with the bigger, So the bigger tech companies, for them, I I think it's less about like let's make a bunch of music, and I think it's more about they are the ones really leading the charge um, with the underlying technologies that that startups like us get to use and and exploit for you know for our purposes. You know, I'll I'll give a shout out to to Google Cloud. I mean, they they have have supported us um, in an incredible way with a lot of credits and a lot of advanced technologies. Like you, you would not we would not have been able to build what we've built at Boomi three years ago or even two years ago. A lot of the stuff that we're using is is very bleeding edge stuff that's that's come out of Google. And and you know to, to the extent that I, I think w- what I'm hearing from you is that people are uncomfortable with with large tech companies like owning everything in general these days. Uh, and so you know kind of that's going into of it, yeah. Yeah, and, and going into culture is is sort of another angle of attack, I think, in, in that argument. At the end of the day, it's easier to focus on the negative than it is to to understand the the positive right. Um, Uber gets a lot of uh, gets a lot of flack, um, but they've also probably saved a lot of lives through you know the lack of drunk driving, which is not something mm. that's easily trackable. And so when it when it comes to music and kind of the smaller startups versus the bigger startups, you know we're we're trying to become a very big company with this. The win condition for us is if we can if we can quickly enable people creating meaningful music that means something to them. This is going to be the most significant uh, advancement in the creation and distribution of music, probably in history, and I, I really mean that. I think you can get to a very, very large company um, through something like this, but and at the same time, I think that the days where, as a technology company, big or small, where you could get sort of get away with things that were not good for users, um, or you could be, or the sort of a lack of transparency, uh, are over. You, you can't pull anything over anyone, uh, on anyone anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're very open about our ownership model. We're very open about, you know, sort of how our technology works and what we're trying to achieve with it. Um, and I think so long as we stay transparent uh, and we have, you know, an open dialogue with our users and our customers, ultimately, uh, it's the consumers and it's the users who, who will decide uh, whether or not, you know, what we're doing, what, what Apple's doing, what Spotify's doing is okay with them. Um, And they will vote with their, with their attention, they'll vote with their dollars. But again, I feel like history is on our side. The easier it becomes to create music, the more people uh, will get to come into this, this space. I think we're going to have a huge net positive for the space. Like, why do hipsters like vintage cameras? You ever ask yourself that question? (laughs) Like, why, you know, like, why, why? That's a good question. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you exactly because of Instagram. It's like you saw the Instagram Mm. filter. And you're like, hey, how does this work? And the answer is, well, it's based on models from old cameras. And then people wanted to go deeper, right? And so mm-hmm. I think whether this tool comes from a big tech company or a small tech company or wherever, what's going to happen to people is they're going to, and, and this is already happening with our users. We've heard this from our users. It's going to inspire people to join mm-hmm. sort of our world, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to achieve here. And I think that's good, no matter where it cam- comes from. We, mm-hmm. We've seen our users be like, you know, Hey, like, can I change this? And we're, we're like, no, uh, we have, we have certain (laughs) editing features, but we, you can't do that. You can't track, track it out, uh, and then put it into a DAW and then, you know, go learn how to, how to make music. Um, and, and we've certainly inspired, I I would say at this point, at least hundreds of people, particularly young people who, who went from never making music before to making music on Boomi, to now participating in, in the music creation economy, uh, in a way that they had never considered before. And so wherever that comes from, I think as so long as you have an open dialogue with your users, uh, it's going to be a net benefit both for the for like our world of the music industry and the kind of the music economy. Um, I think it's going to be a net benefit for the whatever company um, you know ends up really breaking through on this. And I, I expect it to yes.
0: Yeah, and just like in the way that Instagram did for photography, just giving people the opportunity to participate in that way. Yeah, thanks so much for that. So for the last segment, the over underrated segment, I would love for you to start. So are there any? Pieces of like recent music, entertainment news that you wanted to bring up or talk about?
1: Oh man, there's so much. There's so much <laughs> cool stuff. I would say I want to. G- I, I would give a lot of credit uh, and shout out to Splice um, and their ML team. They they announced some research. I would say this is under this is underrated. Uh, they came out with some research. I think two days ago, actually, around splitting out. Uh, this is re- is this too nerdy? This is probably way nerdy. But they're they're I don't using think anything too nerdy. neural network. <laughs> <laughs> we are using um, sort of AI convolutional neural networks to pull out in, in a pretty high quality way, which is which is the innovation uh, stems from stereo recordings, which is which is just awesome. In um, what that's going to enable for for creation once that technology really becomes useful. Right now, you know, we're kind of limited uh, in the AI space as to the the data and the formats that we get to analyze uh, to create stuff. So we're, we're using MIDI. We we actually had to invent a format. Um, for production because one does not exist for us to use. And, and so we're, we're sort of training on this, this new way of thinking about, you know, how do you track production data? If, if you look at the research from Splice and, and from others, soon you're going to be able to pull out all of the necessary data from all the songs that have ever been written. Um, that's going to help us analyze both the history um, and the future, right, of, of music because we can then start applying that to our own songs. There, there are things about the songs that are being created on Boomi that what you know we mightn't understand the underlying data, but when it t- gets turned into audio, you know there's more to analyze there, right? Than what we currently have a capability to analyze. So I would give Splice a shout out for that. Uh, it is it is cool. It's it's I think they put it on Medium and they did a great job in breaking down sort of like how this stuff works. And so if you're somebody who doesn't really understand a lot about you know neural networks and how they work, it's it's a great primer.
0: That's awesome. And thinking about stems specifically. It's, it kind of seems, or a lot of people see that as the next logical step in terms of how existing recorded music or, like, traditional recordings could potentially be monetized, like, be that in making, like, the remixing process a lot easier, because my impression is that, like, the process of just getting that done, there's, like, a lot of, like, work getting involved that arguably might not be necessary, at least from, like, a licensing perspective, um, in terms of, Sampling, which is kind of different, it doesn't necessarily require like breaking out stems, but just like people are kind of looking at individual units of a song and seeing just like what could be done with that creatively.
1: And, and we, we were sort of answering our own question from earlier. The, the more, I guess, the more advanced the technology becomes, the more opportunities for monetization and the more markets that open up, you know, that be, become available. Mm. That's, that's cool. And that's good. And I think that, that gets lost a little bit when we talk about AI. Which is a phrase that just invites fear and skepticism, like you said. What's getting lost is the fact that this technology isn't being built in a, in a vacuum for for no reason. It's it's being built to open up markets and to open up economic opportunities um, for for companies and for and for people and for users. We've all been hearing, you know, rumblings about very interesting new monetization schemes around stems. If, if you just look at Boomi, you know, it's it's a really interesting um, set of monetization around AI music that hasn't been tried yet, and. I think it's when you find new markets, there's always opportunity there. So yeah, I, I just I feel like that gets lost sometimes because people are a little bit too people want to be scared more than they want to be inspired sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point, point. and actually that's a good segue into the piece of news that I had in mind because it's kind of the opposite dynamic in the podcast world of a previously completely open market potentially becoming more closed. So there have been a lot of mostly podcast distribution platforms or like streaming platforms now investing in original exclusive content. A couple months ago, like when Luminary launched, it's like exclusive and gated, but the latest mm. company to enter this space is Apple. So it was announced this week that they invested in, that they're going to be investing reportedly in original podcasts that would be exclusive to its podcast app, which is free to everyone, but it won't be available like on Spotify. I think this is both underrated and overrated at this point. So why I think it's underrated is it might put the wider podcast community in a really weird place. If part of their distribution also becomes their competition. And this is actually Mm -hmm. why I decided not to um, host my podcast on Anchor because Spotify bought Anchor. And then this podcast, which I hope is a more or less objective view on music Mm -hmm. would be governed by one of the biggest music platforms. So I tried, it. so that's why I didn't go through Anchor. But then now there are all these other platforms like Apple, I'm sure will not be the last one to invest in originals. So there's some kind of conflict of interest there. On the other hand, this may not be why it's overrated, but I feel like Apple should really focus on improving its user experience alongside, if not like even more, than investing in original content. Because I think like if you invest in original exclusive content, if the user experience isn't there, like I'm not sure if it'll actually be worth it. Of course, Apple benefits from like really wide distribution and that they still command so much, such a large share of podcast listening. But in terms of like recommendation and discoverability, it just really isn't there yet. Um, and that might exacerbate the the other point that I mentioned of like competition with everyone else who's already who's already using your platform. So like, is there a future where yes, Apple is investing in originals, but it also makes it easier to discover new um, shows or new episodes that you might not have seen before. So Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of double-edged sword there. And then the last thing is that I think Apple is pretty set on keeping their music and podcast apps separate. Like they, they launched a new podcast app for, for Mac, like for desktop. And I think in that sense also Spotify actually has a competitive advantage of having both on the same platform. I think that that gives them a lot more to work with in terms of recommendation and discoverability, especially like across different formats, like seeing any trends in behavior in terms of like whether you listen to a certain type of music alongside a certain type of podcast or show. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting development, but I don't think, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of caveats to Apple like succeeding in this realm.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, so I like everyone, I've been listening to a lot more podcasts lately. Um, okay, yeah. It feels strange to me how free all of it is sometimes. Mm, where mm-hmm. it's like, man, like some of this is and, – and I don't know that world um, nearly as well as you do, but I know that a lot of them and, – and I think we all have the experience of like, and now there's an ad, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> so you're listening, mm-hmm. you're listening, <laughs> and it's ad time. Um, and, and, you're, and you go on and you're like, oh, man, how do I skip through this? And you got to sort of fumble with your phone and, and crash your car. I think what you said about user experience is, is really key. Inter- interrupting a podcast with ads is not awesome from a user mm. experience perspective. It's almost even worse sometimes where it comes through in this uh, this w- weird like disingenuous way where all of a sudden we're like, and by the way, you know, this mattress company is like super comfy. I really love it. <laughs> and like, by the way, they're, they're paying me to say that. And, and now now you're all suspicious, right? And you're like, well, are you say? Do you actually like that mattress company? And and I so I think ultra, again the technology and, and the the platforms opening up new avenues of monetization, new markets is is part of what's at play here. Uh, if you can have something where you know I'm now subscribing to like a, a subscription podcast tier, or maybe it's bundled into my app, uh, you know Apple News uh, subscription, and and Apple stays editorially neutral and doesn't enforce standards on creators, uh, then it's just another way of getting paid, right? Which is which is important. Um, and I think Apple is a company that you can always count on to make stuff that makes stuff. Um, so, (laughs) so, you know, the, their laptops and their, their hardware, people make things with them. And to the extent that people are making podcasts and consuming podcasts, uh, it makes sense to me that eventually there would be a, a form of monetization that isn't like, Hey, but what about this mattress? Right?
0: Yeah. Because it's so free, it's like a whole economy that basically just runs on branded content. It's like native advertising, basically. Which, in uh, if you compare it to the music world, it's like not like that at all. Um, if you compare it to the online media world, it is kind of like that, but there's still some scrutiny around native advertising and like whether it's actually good for journalism in general. But in the podcast world, there's like very little criticism around it, just just because it, it relies almost like entirely on on advertising and right. inline advertising. Yeah.
1: But that, but that could just be for a lack of an alternative, right? Yes. Wouldn't it be exactly. strange if like all of our songs included? Like oh my god! <laughs> like
0: a- after after the chorus, sponsored by it. yeah.
1: Right, or just in the middle of it, and obviously there is there is branding content within music too. That's a different subject, but sure. You know, look, I, I, like I said before, ultimately it's the public, it's the consuming public. They they vote with their ears. They vote with their dollars. If Apple releases a whole bunch of things and nobody uses it, then they're gonna they're gonna stop, right? Or if it becomes a much better way of monetizing podcasts, then then you know you, you might see more creators going into that. We, we don't get to decide, right? The market will do what the market's gonna do. Mm, for sure.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you had any last comments or points that you wanted to bring up about Boomi. Is there anything that maybe like we can expect? In the coming weeks
1: sure sure so um, yeah we're, we're really excited uh, today um, as of today you can go to boomi.com uh, and you can sign up and start making music you can have an album you know you, you can go from never having made a, a song in your whole life to having like a pretty cool track on Spotify right in like a day mm-hmm. which is which is just awesome. Um, so I would encourage people to, you know, definitely go check it out and, and decide for yourself. You know, don't don't take my word for anything that, that we've said about creativity or anything like go go use it, go mess with it. Um, make some cool stuff. It's it's a lot of fun. And yeah, we're going to be launching a bunch of new features um, through the end of the year. This one, this release was really about um, interface uh, and it was about consistency a little bit in the music and, and the back end that we built uh, and some of the engines that, that run Boomi. Uh, you're going to see things like uh, vocals and and the ability to add your vocals very soon. We're working on synthetic vocals, which is terrifying mm. and weird right now. So we haven't done it yet. Uh, uh, <laughs> AI, lyrics, AI lyrics, I mean the whole thing. We're if you can if you can think of it, we're definitely working on it. And uh, and yeah, we're we're going to release it to, this to our users, and you're going to see a lot of really interesting music um, come come out of this platform. It already it is you know not necessarily what we expected especially in terms of the user response um so we're we're learning you know alongside our users and everybody else so yeah i would just say go go check out com. you don't even need a beta code anymore you can just use it it's awesome
0: great thanks so much again for joining us podcast interesting.
1: of course of course
0: so much for listening to episode 10 of the water and music podcast if you enjoyed this conversation i'd really appreciate a positive review on apple podcasts a follow on spotify or any other show of support on whatever podcast listening platform you like if you're interested in reading articles on similar topics about the latest trends in music and tech i encourage you to subscribe to my email newsletter also named water and music by visiting the following short link bit.ly waterandmusic water and that's bit.ly slash water and music, all spelled out and all in lowercase. Something new I'm going to be sharing through my newsletter is a full, edited, and annotated transcript of each new episode of the podcast. The transcripts will be shared for free through the newsletter, which comes out every Thursday at noon Eastern time, as well as on my Medium page. And the first transcript will be for the episode you're listening to right now. Thank you so much again for listening, and I can't wait for episode 11.